<laughs> Thank you. I, I'm sweating just watching that again. It, it was the worst experience of my life. And I think about it, but it's really what we're trying to do with Bucket List, right? It's time to live again. It's time to dream God-sized dreams. Fear has gripped us for so long in this era. It's just time to get out of that, right? There is something in you that has died that needs to be reignited. And that's what really our desire is for Bucket List and what it is. And really, skydiving with Tammy and I is kind of the capsulation. For some of you, there are things that bring you such joy you just haven't done in a while and you need to lock back into what brings you joy. For Tammy, it's... It's skydiving. She's like, when are we going again? I said, we are not going again ever again. But she's like, I'm down. For some of you, this it's, it's just overcoming fear. And I thought of you all because I'm at the edge of the plane. We're two miles up. The door is open. And your toes are at the end. And you had this moment like, I do not think I'm going to be able to do this. And then group pressure. I remembered at some point I'll have to stand in front of you and Zach would harass me for the rest of my life if I didn't. And away we go. And uh, the fear, you know, overcame it and all these things that are there. So that's where we're heading with the series Bucket List. And uh, you're gonna, we're going to have some neat things every week, opportunities to do that. But we do mention skydiving because many of you, that's on your bucket list to either enjoy or overcome. And so we want to invite you September 19th, right after church, we've got 30 spots. Actually, there's less than that now reserved. If you want to come, put your life in your own hands and uh, have a wonderful time and get the t-shirts. That's coming up. That's bucket list. Looking forward to that. But you know, before you build the house, you've got to lay the foundation. And uh, that's what we're doing in these three weeks in our series, Church 3.0. We've been talking about three areas of, of total engagement, three things that as we strive to get stronger at will enhance our lives, but more importantly, it will enhance the lives of those around us, right? When the leader gets better, the organization gets better, when a parent gets healthier, that the family gets healthier. When you become more Christ-like, everybody that you come in contact with is blessed because of what Jesus is doing in you and through you. As individuals, right? As we close these three circles of engagement, we as a church begin to look more like the church of Acts chapter two. So what you do matters. What we're gonna talk about today truly matters. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Mark chapter 10. If you've got your phones, you go to lexcity.info. Again, we talk about that a lot. Best way to connect with our church, best way to follow the sermon. Sermon notes are all there on lexcity.info. So Mark chapter 10. I'm going to hit two passages today that if you've been around church may be familiar to you, but I want you to see them with new eyes and maybe fresh eyes even this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him, being Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, parents, you know what this is. This is called a setup question. Moms, you ever have your child come up to you and say this? Listen, uh, Mom, I've got to tell you something. But before I tell you, you promise you're not going to get angry and you promise you're not going to ground me? I mean, that's a setup question. That's what these boys come up to Jesus and say. Go back to verse 30. James and John came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. Right? Lord, we want you to, we want you to place us in a position of greatness. That's what we're really asking. Lord, we look around, 
our culture and the context that we look around our Roman culture and everybody who's in authority, everybody who's held in highest self-esteem, we look at these men and women and they have power and they have possessions and they have prestige and they have positions. Lord, that's what we want you to place for us. We, we go to our Roman Instagram and we all of a sudden look at all these influencers and what we keep seeing in them, right, is self-promotion, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, right? Look at me. Don't you wish your life was like my life? I mean, look at my shiny chariot. I look so trim in my little armor. Don't I look so great, right? When I eat grapes, people put leaves and they fan me as I go. Wouldn't it be great to, me, to be me? And this disciples saying, Jesus, this, was, this is kind of what we want. We want to be in this kind of position of greatness. And Jesus hears this. And goes beyond that to look at the heart issue, right? Looks at the motivation of life. And Jesus takes this moment to do a profound teaching moment with these men. So we go on. And he's going to give the truth. Now, don't miss this profound truth. Mark chapter 10. Slide down to verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now, don't miss this point. Jesus does not condemn them because they want to be great. Don't miss that. He condemns them for their pursuit of greatness. He he condemns them for the means that they want to aspire to greatness and how they want to achieve it. He doesn't condemn them for their desire to be great. Think about the pursuit of greatness. Really, there's two roads, right? There's a wide road through self-promotion. And there's a narrow road through allowing Jesus to elevate you in his timing. And you think about these two roads, right? I don't want you, you can tell which road somebody is on when they interact with you. See, there is a difference between somebody who is using you and somebody who is serving you. And you feel it. And you know the difference between the two. You can tell the difference between somebody who is offering a service and somebody who is willing to serve. And Jesus says to the men, listen, this is the heart issue that you're missing. I I need you to turn your I into a we. Jesus says you're starting with the wrong question. The question you're starting with is how can this help me? And he says what I need you to change your thinking and the question you need to begin to ask is how can I help you? Don't ask how I can succeed. I need you to begin to ask how we can succeed and the difference. Go on to verse uh, 43. But it shall not be so among you, right? It's not how you should be thinking. Here's what you need to think. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you. I know what you see in your world and your culture. And I know this is what you think you're striving for. But can I remind you that true greatness is achieved through servanthood. So let me define servanthood. I love the way Pastor Tony Evans says it this way. Servanthood is the attitude and actions that seek the well-being of others in accordance with the will of God. Servanthood is when I serve God, I need to be reminded that when I'm serving people, I really am serving my God. And that's his will for my life, right? That I would be an instrument, that I would be used by him. It's the road to greatness. And if you want to be great, I don't know what you, I want to be great. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. I want my life to matter. 
I want my few years here on this earth to have significance and impact. I, I want to be great in that kingdom mindset. And so he simply says this, it's going to come through servanthood. And a servant sees a need and a servant fills the need. And when everybody serves, everybody gets served. <laughs> that, that's Tom's story. I'm going to share just a moment with you Tom's story. And Tom is living this out for us. When everybody serves, everybody gets served. Here's his story. I'm Tom. I'm Josh. And we're in a life group together. And this is our story. Um, we had a fall revival when I was five years old. And um, I can remember sitting in the pew and the preacher was preaching. And I was just like, I need to get saved. And I know to this day, as a five-year-old, I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, the age of 36 in September of 2015 um, was my last drink. And I wound up in, in UK hospital in a coma. And when I woke up, the doctors explained to me that it's over. I was just mentally preparing to be off the planet. Something came to me and told me, you're gonna die today and go to hell or go get help. I went straight to the Hope Center and my life's never been the same. Todd Barrett, I always called my personal bouncer. There was many a times that Todd would personally carry me into the auditorium and make sure that I was able to see. Because those years that my liver were going through it, still coming to church. I still had a kid just because I was a drunk. Don't mean I wasn't a father. And now all of a sudden he sees me walking into church without a stagger and he says, hey, you want to be a part of the parking team? Why heck yeah I do. That's all I've been waiting for. Just somebody to ask me. So they're teaching me how to live a godly life, which is allowing me to live a godly life, which is allowing God to be a father to my son. So because they're living right, it has changed the course of my family. Dave Griffith came and asked me um, one, one weekend if I would be willing to lead the parking team. And Josh was already serving on the parking team, so I started talking to him every week. Just the joy of being able to, okay, I'm gonna go talk to Josh and see what, you know, a little bit more about his story. God just prompted me just to ask him, hey, do you, have you ever had anybody mentor you or anything like that? that just led into a, a deeper friendship with each other. So what would your son like to do this? So then I started walking through that with his son, Nathan. I just, again, I felt God prompted me to ask him, hey man, are you part of the life group? Are you part of anybody's life group? That Sunday or the next Sunday, I think, uh, then he started coming to our life group. This man spent a lot of time with me in the last few years, not just me, but my son as well. What I have to tell people is, man, thank you for serving God. Thank you for truly believing in God. Because you believe in God, I have a chance. I just thank you for the joy that you show, the excitement that you show for wanting to know more about God and learn about it. You grow up and you walk around, you look at all these people that look like they're living good and they're, no, they're just on a path. They ain't no better than you, they ain't no nothing. And get to know them and listen to some of the things they pray about, they struggle with everything that I struggle with. They're just on a different path, that's all. That's what's really been the biggest impact for me. We, we weren't on the same tracks and paths. No. God changed a lot of things to get to this point. That's why we're saying it's, it's not our story. It's his story. It's the church's story. It's what the church is supposed to be about. We're just real men with real problems following a real God. And that's what our life group is. Just real men with real problems following God. Don't you love that?
And I love that story, and I love Josh's, I mean, he's breaking generations of sin and generations of habits and the courage he has and see him work with his son, such a blessing. It all started with serving one another. That mind is, is how do I know if I'm serving? Servanthood is an attitude and action that seeks the well-being of others in accordance with the will of God. So if serving is this important and serving has this kind of impact, generational impact, here's the question, simply this, how do I know I have a servant's heart? By how I react when I'm treated like one. I I could close in prayer right there. I mean, isn't that the truth? (laughs) Do I have a servant? How do I know when I'm serving? What's happening in my heart at times when nobody's acknowledging it? What's resonating in my heart when somebody's not there to take the selfie to show my humble service to the world? Uh, How do I do? What rises up in my heart when I'm serving in one ministry, but it seems like another ministry gets all of the attention and all of the affirmation? How do I know if I'm really a servant? But how you respond when you're treated like a servant. Influencers. (laughs) Is there something that you used to do that you no longer do because it's now below you? Are the things in your organization or in your family, it's like, well, I don't do that anymore because you know who I am. I've got this title. I've got this. That's no longer things that I kind of do. It's the servant's heart. Jesus says, listen, he says to his disciples, men, when this rises up in your heart, when you begin to think I am above this, he says, can I remind you of something? Go to verse 45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest of all time took the narrow road to greatness through servanthood. And what I love about who Jesus is, right, is Jesus not only talks about this is the kind of life that leads to greatness. He doesn't just talk about it, doesn't just teach it, but he lives it out every day. And we see this in the account of your mark. Go over to John chapter 13 familiar story, but a powerful one. If you remember the context of John chapter 13, it's just before the Passover. And Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples at that moment. If you've ever been to the Holy Lands, you can kind of picture the context of where we're talking. Now, a little cultural background as we go into this. Be reminded of this. It was customary in biblical days when you get up, right, you bathe yourself, you clean up, you put your clothes, you put your sandals on, and off you head for the day. But in the evenings, if you went for a dinner party or if you went to supper somewhere, uh, when you would head into a room, you would open the door and you would be met by a a servant who would be sitting there with with a basin. And it was a role of the servant at that moment to, to welcome you. And then they would wash your feet because you had been walking in the dusty roads with your sandals all day. And so they would meet you, welcome you, and wash your feet. This was the task of a servant. This was the task of a slave. This is, this is a nobody's job in the context there. And so on this night, as Jesus enters the upper room with his disciples, they enter the room and the basin and the towel were there, but nobody felt compelled to do anything with them because after all, the greatness is in the room. We're the 12 and we are here and we have arrived And dinner begins, and the towel stays dry. 
John 13, verse 4. Jesus arose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. <laughs> and at this point, ooh, ooh, the disciples realize they've missed something. They're not sure what's happening. But the greatest just got up and went to the basin to grab the towel. The greatest in the room all of a sudden is now positioning himself and taking on the role of the slave. Verse 4, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now be reminded, in this moment as Jesus is serving, listen, Jesus never lost his role even though he was serving. His greatness was never in doubt even though he humbled himself to this position because I'm reminded of this, listen, when you are secure in who you are, you can serve. Only insecure people can't serve below them. And Jesus models this, that greatness does not need a title. Greatness does not need a position on the org chart. Greatness is great because it is great, whether it is at the bottom or whether it is at the top. When you know who you are, you don't need the validation of people and titles and things to be secure. Jesus was still Jesus, even though this moment he humbles himself. For greatness sees a need and greatness fills the need. And this is what I love. Because you are great, you fill the need well. Jesus says that he washed their feet. He didn't just sprinkle a little bit of water on it. He washed their, I mean, he's in the toes. He's doing it all. He's drying it well. He is doing it wholeheartedly. And listen, as Jesus dried the feet of his disciples, his greatness grew in their eyes. Can you imagine that moment? As Jesus is washing and drying the feet of John, the greatness of who sat before him begins to resonate in his heart. In verse 8, now Peter, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus answered him, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, I love Jesus. He's so patient with Peter and he's so patient with us. Because what's going on in Peter's heart? Peter's feeling bad. Peter's feeling guilty. He's like, oh, I saw the basin. I knew it. I, I, I knew somebody was going to do something. I, I should have you been there. I should have been there. I knew it. And I just didn't. And now he's feeling bad and he's feeling guilty over these things. And then Jesus shares these words. And he says, Peter, you're missing it. I'm not talking about this moment of washing your feet. I'm talking about something greater. I came not just to wash people's feet. I came to wash their hearts, and I came to wash their souls. And Peter, apart from me cleansing you, you have no relationship with me, right? Repentance, forgiveness, justification are all needed in our salvation. It's more than just washing, but you've got to be cleansed on the inside to have relationship with me. And then there's Peter. I love him not fully grasping what's happening, but he's the passionate follower of Christ, feeling extremely bad that he missed this opportunity because that could have been his moment. And so he just keeps on gabbing, right? Verse nine, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, just relax, Peter, right? 
Really, take a breath. You're going to be right. The one who has bathed does not need to bathe. Peter, you've washed already today. It's good. All right? You're okay that way. You just need your feet. But in doing that, you are completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. And to me, one of the most remarkable stories of Jesus was in the moment that he was washing his disciples' feet, he knew Judas would betray him. And yet he served Judas in such a way, and he washed his feet with such compassion and love that nobody knew that it was Judas. Think about that. At a moment when Jesus could have identified the man who was to betray him, at the moment Jesus could have called him out and said, this is the guy, Jesus chose to serve him. And he served him with such compassion and love that nobody in the room knew who he was talking about. It's pretty remarkable. See, servanthood is not just something that Jesus did. It was who he truly was at his core in his heart. For you and I, that same kind of service becomes so important that we learn to serve those who would mean us harm. Because serving isn't something you do, it's something of who you are. So tomorrow morning, that person in your sphere of influence that is difficult and challenging, God says, here's the marker of who you are. You wanna be great? Why, why did Jesus serve Judas in such a way? Why, because Jesus knew he's on the road to greatness. And greatness begins right here. The same is true we see all throughout Scripture. Moses, he had to serve the sheep before he became the leader of people. Joseph had to be a faithful slave before he could be a trusted leader over all the country. Ruth had to commit her life to serve Naomi before she had the honor of becoming in the lineage of who Jesus was. Peter had to learn to be a disciple long before he was the rock. And see, I don't know where your greatness lies, but I know the road that you've got to take to get there, and it's the road of servanthood. It becomes so important because the basin sits at the door, right? And in the kingdom of God, there are no slaves. So the first has to become last. The greatest has to be the first one to pick up the basin. John Wesley said it this way. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways that you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. <laughs> See, the reality is this. Every week you walk through these doors and every week there's a basin and a towel that's sitting there. And the question is simply this, will you serve or will you wait to be served? And the answer to that question determines your greatness.